If you have your Bible with you this morning, you can flip to John chapter 9. If you need a Bible, feel free to grab one and keep one from the back. We are returning to a series that we've been in for uh, several months entitled Follow Jesus, and it's walking us through the gospel of John from beginning to end to see who Jesus is and to see through the eyes of people who come to meet him and to know him and trust him, to see through the eyes of the disciples, but ultimately to see through the scripture what it means for us to follow Jesus, to trust him with our daily lives, what it means to say, Jesus is my Lord, he is my King, he is my Savior. You know, I've heard a, uh, a number of different commentary and hot takes on the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, and obviously everybody has written or spoken their thoughts on what was and what will be. And uh, if I can take us to the Word and encourage us as we walk through John 9 this morning, what we're going to see is this. Jesus was in control of every part of 2020, wasn't he? The good, the bad, the difficult, the exciting, the challenging, the discouraging, life and death and everything in between. Jesus has been there. He is in control. He is good in all things. And so our hope is not in a digit changing from 2020 to 2021, as I have heard many people say. Our hope is in the unfailing power, grace, sovereignty, and goodness of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Who was king in 2020, who was king 2,000 years ago, who was king before time began, and who will be king in 2021, until the day that he returns to take us home, in which case we will experience a joy and a power in heaven together like we cannot even begin to imagine here and now. This morning, a man who was born blind is going to teach us how to fix our eyes on that same Jesus. And my prayer for us this morning is that, that this passage would truly illuminate to us in a fresh way who Jesus is and who we are in the story and what it means to follow him. And again, he gives us this amazing statement that, that has been shared for thousands of years since he made it. In his rejoicing, he says, I once was blind, but now I see. We're going to look at all of John chapter 9 this morning. It is a story that takes 41 verses, and we're going to take it a little piece at a time. So let's begin with verses 1 through 5 to see what's going on here. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9, this is Jesus. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Let's begin with prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus has come. Thank you that he promises us yet again that he is and forever will be the light of the world. So Father, fix our eyes on you this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Four applications this morning from this text. What it looks like to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the light of the world. Number one, right off the bat, Jesus is the light to a dark world, so shine 
the light of Jesus while it is still day. Jesus tells us at the very beginning, doesn't he? Jesus says here again, I am the light of the world, reminding us that the world is on its own a dark place. We know that. We see that. If our eyes are open, we are aware, and that Jesus has come and has brought real hope, real truth, real light and life into this dark world. Now, if you were with us during our Christmas series, we went through some of Jesus' I am statements that come from the book of John, and so we looked at Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. And if you were there, you will remember that the situation in which Jesus makes that statement is incredibly powerful. This story comes right after that moment. And in case you weren't there, let me just state quickly that Jesus was in the temple, a specific part of the temple, when he makes this statement. And there was a feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, that had just ended. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, what the Jews would do is they would light four massive torches in the temple. And these things were so bright that not only would they fill the temple with light, they would fill much of downtown Jerusalem with light. And it is in that moment when they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, which in itself was a Jewish feast to celebrate the fact that in the Old Testament, God himself manifested his power to lead Israel with a massive fireball at night, a cloud of fire, a pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the darkness of the wilderness into the promised land. So they're celebrating God the Father, the light of the world. They're celebrating it with these torches surrounding them when Jesus comes to these people, some who believe him and some who do not, and he says, I am the light of the world. He's telling us clearly that he is God, and he is telling us clearly that he is the Messiah. But as this story continues to play out for us now in John chapter 9, we're going to see clearly that shining for Jesus, for us to shine with and for Jesus, will bring confrontation. When you shine for Jesus, people will not like it. First of all, Jesus' message is clear. Look at 8.12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. One of the things that Jesus is telling us here is that if you don't have Jesus, you don't have light. He is saying this to the Pharisees who are all around him, who have already begun to reject him, who are already looking for ways to eliminate him. These are fighting words from Jesus to let them know that only in him is there truly light. He goes on in chapter 8, right after making that statement, he's going to tell the Pharisees specifically that they are from below and that he is from above. He's going to tell them that even though they pride themselves on being children of Abraham, that there is nothing in their lives that would actually show that that is spiritually true in their lives. In fact, he will tell them that what they are doing as they reject him is following the devil. And so when Jesus says in 858... Before Abraham was born, I am. The Bible says that the Pharisees literally picked up stones to stone him to death. But because it was not yet his decided time to die on the cross, they were unable to carry out what they wanted to do to him. This is what happens when light enters a dark world. This is what happens. Darkness will attack 
the light of Jesus and all those who tie themselves to it and say, I am a follower of Jesus. But notice what Jesus does with that situation. Jesus now will leave the temple, and immediately upon leaving the temple, he sees a person that nobody else sees. He sees a blind man that everyone else has learned to walk around, to ignore, to not see. And what he will do is miraculously give this man sight, not only physically, but spiritually by the end of the story. See, there would have been a massive crowd that is following Jesus as he is now leaving the temple, filled with both his disciples and the Pharisees who are still toting their stones, as well as onlookers who are curious and interested and just want to see who is Jesus and what is he about. And Jesus would make them all stop because of one man, because Jesus sees. Jesus is God. He has the eyes of God, and he sees those who we tend to overlook. And you notice that Jesus' own followers, the disciples, who are very much a work in process by God's grace, but they ask a ridiculous question. They ask a question that is based out of that culture's false assumptions that just because somebody has an infirmity that they must have sinned to have experienced that infirmity. They're believing what the Pharisees teach. They're believing what the Pharisees live. They're believing what their dark culture has taught them. And so when they ask this question, who sinned, his parents or this man himself, Jesus wants to set the record straight. And he essentially says, what you are asking is nonsense. Understand that what I've come to do is to open eyes. What I've come to do is change lives. And so after he tells them that neither has sinned, rather it is to show God's power, God's grace, God's glory which is true for anything that you have experienced in 2020, by the way, that God can and will, will use the darkest moments in your life for your good and His glory if you are in Christ Jesus, says Romans chapter 8. But here, He wants them to understand He's the light of the world. And He's saying, while I am here, you have work to do. We have work to do. I have work to do because you cannot work at night. And in a culture that did not have electricity, they would have understood exactly what he meant. This is literally as well as spiritually true. For us as a church in 2021, we have a finite amount of time to be missionaries in this city and in this world to share the light of Jesus because there is a time when Jesus will come back and there will be no missions in heaven. There is an end. And Jesus is very clear in Matthew chapter 24. He places no value on people who will try to guess or figure out or pretend like they know the day and the time. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. Jesus says, only my Father knows the time that I am coming back. That is not what Jesus is looking for, is people who will stand up and say, I know. No, you don't. But what we know is Jesus is saying, we have work to do to share the light of Christ while we still can. For us as a church, whether that be leading or participating in a a city group or in a discipleship triad or ministering uh, to our children and teaching them the light of the gospel in our city kids ministry or in youth group or being a part of our worship team or welcome team or prayer team, being a part of outreach efforts that we do as a church because we want to reach our city and the world for Christ, we are a part of the light of Jesus. And let me be clear that no pandemic is going to stop 
Jesus' kingdom from coming. What is more likely to stop is our apathy and our eyes losing focus on Christ and being distracted by the things of this world, whether they be comforts or challenges. Let us be focused on the fact that Jesus is in control, even in the worst of circumstances. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, it doesn't matter if you are young or old. It doesn't matter if you feel like you've been burned by the church in the past. It doesn't matter if you feel like you've made incredible mistakes that God would never forgive, because He will. It doesn't matter if you think that you are not very good at evangelism. Jesus is saying here, our personal mission statement this year and forever is exactly the words of Jesus, that we can put on His words as long as I am in the world. I will be the light of the world. I will point others to Him. It's not about me. It's not about us. It is about Him. So it's worth considering who are the people in our lives that maybe we've given up on. Who are people that we've stopped praying for? Who are people that we've stopped sharing with? Who are people that we have pushed out of our lives that maybe Jesus is saying, now is the time to begin praying afresh, to ask for His Holy Spirit to do what only He can do in the first place anyway, and to say, Lord, whoever you will put in front of me, I want to show them the love of Christ. I want to speak the truth of the gospel, even if I'm not good at it. Because there is a time when night is coming and there will be no more opportunity, says Jesus. Number two, Jesus continues to teach here. Number two, Jesus healed a man born blind and he gives sight to all who are blind. What do we mean? Let's look at verses six and seven now. Having said this, having, Jesus, having said this, these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Can you imagine having your eyes anointed with mud? And said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. He went and washed and came back seeing. Notice in, in this man's life, in his world, this man did not ask for anything, did he? And he didn't ask for anything from Jesus because he could not See, do you notice what is blatantly missing in this story? There's no conversation, is there? There is no request, there is no asking, there is no reaching out of any kind by this blind man. Rather, Jesus comes to him. Jesus sees who no one else sees, and Jesus moves towards this man. And this man did not experience blindness later in life. He was born blind. Right? So he has never seen light. He has never seen color. He has never seen mountain peaks. He has never seen the seashore. He has never seen his mom and his dad's face. He's never seen any of these things. Many of us are familiar with the, the incredible testimony and story of Helen Keller. You remember Helen Keller was born in 1880. She actually could see when she was born, but at 19 months old, she became incredibly sick, and she lost both her sight and her hearing. But her teacher, later on in life, Annie Sullivan, changed everything, didn't she? Uh, Helen Keller writes this about that time. She says, Gradually I got used to the silence and darkness that surrounded me and forgot that it had ever been different 
until she came, my teacher, who set my spirit free. To be absolutely clear here, the gospel is the good news that Jesus saves people who cannot save themselves. We are all, all of us, every single one of us, every tribe, tongue, and nation, we are conceived in spiritual blindness. And there is nothing in us that makes us reach out to God. There is nothing in us that is good enough on our own to get to God. So fix our eyes afresh on the grace and the goodness of Jesus who reaches out and who comes to this blind man in the same way that his love first regenerates our dead hearts that cannot and will not believe and enables us to believe and to receive and to cling to his gospel. Spiritually, he brought us from blindness to sight. He brought us from death to life. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2 that speaks explicitly spiritually on what is taking place when we as people come to Christ for salvation. Verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Thank God that the story does not end there. But you get the picture. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And when Jesus called, that blind man responded. When Jesus spoke, that blind man listened. You notice, again, the strangeness of this moment. Jesus, without even asking, just goes up, spits on the ground, makes a mud pack, and rubs it on this man's eyes. They've not spoken a word to each other, and then says, get up and go down to this particular pool and wash it off. If you're that guy, what is going on in your head, right? How are you feeling in this moment? I would imagine that he has got to feel just a little bit foolish. There are people everywhere. He may or may not realize how many, but there are people who are watching, and he has now had some guy that he's never met rub spit mud on his eyes and has been told to go wash it off. And as foolish as he probably felt, clearly there was hope. You can imagine his heart beating faster and faster as he's thinking and dreaming and going, what if this works? What if this is the moment that everything changes? He doesn't even necessarily know what he is missing because he has been born blind, but his excitement is building. I think it speaks to our lives because until you see Jesus for who he is, trusting in Jesus and laying down your own abilities and your own self-righteousness will feel as foolish as rubbing your eyes with mud and going and rinsing it off. But it is in the foolishness of recognizing that we cannot do it ourselves. And in hope, doing what this man did, which is listening to Jesus and obeying what he said, 
that salvation comes. And the instruction for us today is clear. Confess that you need Him, that you cannot save yourself, that if we've sinned even once, that we stand guilty before God and we need the forgiveness and the cleansing power that only Jesus can bring, that only He can change our eyes from being blind to being able to see. This man trusts Jesus. And you can imagine, actually we know from the story, the next thing that he does, he sees, he's amazed, he's looking around, he's seeing faces, he's seeing light, he's seeing colors, he's seeing the city of Jerusalem, and he runs home to tell, we assume, his parents, his family, his neighbors, everybody, look what has happened to me. I can see. And we get such an interesting response now from all the people that will be around him. Number three, the world is spiritually blind, but his followers must fix their eyes on Jesus. Verses 13 all the way to 34, almost at the end of the passage, we get now the way that the world responds to what Jesus has just done for this man and the way that they respond to this man when he shares his testimony about what Jesus has done for him. There's really four specific responses that I think teach us as believers right here and now in 2021, how must we fix our eyes on Jesus and what are those dangers that can pull us away? The first is this, they deny God's miraculous power. That the world's response is to deny God's miraculous power. Look at verses 8 through 10 now as we continue on. The neighbors... And those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No. But he's like him. He kept saying, The blind man who is now the miracle man, he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? Some believe, some do not. But those who do not, you see that these neighbors absolutely knew it was him, and they absolutely refused to believe that it was him and that he could see. Even though he is standing there saying, I am the guy. How many fingers am I holding up? I can see that. He is standing in front of them as a living testimony to God's miraculous power, and they will not believe. Romans 1 says that this is willful denial of what they can see plainly in front of them. See, because here is the reality. Our sin, our sin nature is a prison. It's a prison door, but it is one that is locked from the inside. You understand what I'm saying? Sin is a prison door that is locked from the inside. This is willful denial of what they can see plainly in front of their faces. The miracles of Jesus throughout the Gospel of John, they are always signs to show us that Jesus is who he says he is, to prove to them. And we as followers, when we, when we read of the miraculous, when we hear of the miraculous, followers of Jesus fix our eyes on the truth of Jesus' miraculous power as it is revealed in the Scriptures. We fix our eyes on the reality that Jesus does miracles and that every single person who is saved, that that in itself is a miracle. Do you realize that your testimony, your story, it's a miracle? Look at the second issue, uh, spiritual blindness that takes place. Now, the second one is this, legalism. 
legalism that masquerades as God's law. Let's look at the next couple verses. This is verses 13 through 16. They brought to the Pharisees the man, the miracle man, who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, you see people who are willing to believe and people who are not. But among those who will not... They move now to legalism. And what I mean here is this, legalism is adding adding to God's already perfect law by giving your own man-made rules. Legalism is adding to God's perfect law by giving your own man-made rules over and above the authority of God's perfect law. He does not need our help, right? When we add to it, That's where legalism comes in. And the Pharisees will constantly attack Jesus for doing the work of his heavenly father on the Sabbath. So they are criticizing him and accusing him of being a sinner because he has healed this man physically and spiritually on the Sabbath. And let's be super clear, he is not breaking God's Sabbath law. Jesus is fulfilling God's Sabbath law because Jesus himself is the true Sabbath. Jesus himself is true Sabbath rest. And there is no law on the books in the Old Testament that forbade Jesus to do what he was doing. They are walking in legalism. Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Many today will reject God's law. 2021, here we go. Many will reject God's law and will twist it and will use the sin of legalism and call believers who are doing their best by God's grace and will fail all the time, but they will accuse believers who are seeking to obey and follow the truth of God's word. They will call them legalists and they will do this by saying things like, Well, Jesus ended the law of God, and Jesus wasn't about rules, and Jesus didn't believe in laws. Jesus canceled all that. It's not what the Scripture says. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Jesus fulfills the law in a way that we never could. We know that we cannot keep the law. But seeking to follow Jesus as his disciple is not legalism. What they are doing is adding to God's word. And so followers of Jesus pursue joyful and humble obedience in God's word. As followers of Jesus, we fix our eyes by humbly following what is in his word, not adding to it what we might want to add for the sake of legalism or subtracting from it what we might want to subtract for the sake of our own license to do what we want to do. Third one. Social pressure, the social pressure to deny Jesus. And this one is maybe the most tragic in this story. Look at verses 18 through 22. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? 
Fair question. His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Says the scripture, verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. You see what's happening here? The blind man's own mom and dad refuse to speak about Jesus because they have given in to the fear of man. We are being bombarded by a culture that pressures us and tries to intimidate us in so many different ways to deny Jesus. Somewhere, I think, as Christians, particularly in America, we have believed the satanic lie that being a Christian means being quiet and keeping your faith to yourself. It does not. Followers of Jesus, very simply, we choose faith over fear and boldly testify to what Jesus has done in our lives, to what Jesus has done in others' lives. We choose to trust Him by faith rather than following and crumbling under the threats and the fears of any person because our eyes are on Jesus who is King and not on any person who says otherwise. Fourth dilemma here that that the Scripture calls us to follow Jesus and fix our eyes on Him is works righteousness. Look at the last section here. This is verses 24 all the way through 34. Listen to how the Pharisees now speak a second time to this miracle man. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Who are they talking about? Jesus. We know that Jesus is a sinner. He, our miracle man, he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Little tongue in cheek. And they reviled him saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Feel the works righteousness dripping in every sentence. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man, the miracle man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him, so say the Pharisees. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Listen to what he is saying. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. If Jesus is not from God, then he could never have opened my eyes. 34, they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. The most self-righteous and spiritually blind statement of all time. We know Jesus is a sinner. 
They have rejected Jesus for the most absurd of reasons, and they continue to speak their own self-absorbed self-righteousness that is such a puddle of mud when they say, we know Moses. See, because they thought they knew the law, but they literally do not realize that they are speaking to the one who made the law. God does not listen to sinners, they say. They literally do not understand that God himself is speaking to them in that moment. They who are sinners, they do not see their sin, they do not see that he is God, and they do not see that Jesus himself, God himself, has come to this world to reconcile the broken relationship that exists between all of humanity and a holy God. They don't see it. And then they say, you were born in sin, so don't lecture us, which is that same exact cultural lie that the disciples were believing at the very beginning of the story. This blind man, who now can see, has been ignored and marginalized his entire life. He's completely uneducated, and yet he turns the tables on his interrogators with some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. How can you not know where he comes from? He opens the eyes of the blind, and who but God alone can do such a miracle? And for this man's faithfulness, his brand new baby belief, they throw him out of the temple, which was to be cut off from religious life in that community. Followers of Jesus, do not live by works righteousness, live by grace. We are called to live by grace, knowing that it is His kindness and His mercy that leads us to repentance and salvation. It is not anything that any of us can do. It is not about my good works. It is about His good works. Amen? Fourth, and very simply, those who know they are blind are the ones to whom Jesus can give sight. Look at the last six verses here of the story. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, the man. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. First of all, notice that the parents were too afraid to speak the truth about what Jesus had done in their son's life for fear that they would be thrown out of the temple. This man, this miracle man, was absolutely thrown out of the temple, and he is fine. There is nothing that man can do to you when you trust in the Lord. Do not worry about their threats, even if they follow through with them. This man was fine. And in fact, in that moment of his first experience with persecution, Jesus came to him again, shared the gospel with him, and this man's eyes not only now physically were opened, but now spiritually were opened When in the simplest conversation of all time, he recognized that Jesus was God and that Jesus could be his Savior, and he said, I believe. That is what it means to come to Christ. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are God. 
I believe that I'm a sinner. Save me. It is that simple. See, those who know they are blind are the ones to whom Jesus can give sight. Those who recognize I cannot do it on my own, I need Jesus, those are the ones that Jesus saves. Have the position of this blind man who was given his sight. And in 2021, let's fix our eyes on this same Jesus. Let's take a moment. Let's pray together.